love thy neighborhood. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. times. Hey guys, it's Anna. So right now we are in the middle of finishing our new episode of the LTN podcast. It's going to be called Where the Gospel Meets Sex. The stories that we're going to focus on are going to be about married sex specifically. So obviously that leaves out a lot of a single people. Don't get me wrong, there are many things in the episode that will be great for both married and single people to hear. But while marriage has its own particular beauties and struggles, so does singleness. So today, I want to replay an episode we first aired back in 2018. It's all about singleness. It features a bunch of clever and surprising and beautiful angles on singleness from people asking the question. Christians say singleness is a gift, but what happens when we get older and are still single? So keep an eye out for a new episode in two weeks. But for now, here is episode 18, where the gospel meets singleness. Some names in our story have been changed to protect identity. Can I ask you a personal question? <laughs> yes. Okay, you're single. You're, yes. How old are you? 31. Okay, so you're 31 and you're single. Are you single by conviction? Like you want to be single, you've chosen a lifestyle of singleness, or would you say that you're you're single because of circumstance? Probably circumstance. Okay, so then that that would lead to my next question, which is, are you open to the idea of trying something brand new? Is are you gonna send me on a blind date? Because the answer is no. Okay, well here's <laughs> here's what I'm getting at. I'm trying to like very politely basically ask you if you would be willing to try online dating. Sure. Okay, I want you to set up a profile. I'm not going on a date with somebody. You would not go on a date. I probably wouldn't. The whole thing is this. We're going out into the unknown. You, Rachel Zabo, are going out into the unknown. My mom thinks it's a great idea. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> on this, your mom and I definitely agree. <laughs> You're listening to the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Every episode, we hear stories of social justice and Christian community. And today's episode is where the gospel meets singleness. And just to be clear, this episode is not about finding me a date. But it could be. Uh, but in all seriousness, singleness is a really broad topic. And it's really important that we look at it from a bunch of different angles. And so as we explore singleness in this episode, we're gonna hear from several different people in different life stages about their experiences being single. And I wanna say this too, like this episode is not just for single people. So if you're listening to this and you're married, don't think, well, I can check out of this episode because it doesn't apply to me. No, it does. This is for married folks too. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. So there was a recent Pew Research study that found that there are now more single adults in America than ever before. That's right. So the study actually found that 42 percent 
of the U.S. adult population is single. And to be honest, like that is something I really struggle to wrap my brain around. You know, I got married when I was 25. So I feel like I kind of understand single life up through that age. But like people that are single past 25, like it's an experience that's kind of foreign to me. And I really don't understand it. Yeah, well, there's kind of been a shift in perspective on marriage. And so, you know, 20, 30 years ago, marriage was seen as sort of a cornerstone. You know, this is a foundation. You build your life upon it. And so people would get married a lot earlier in life. But now marriage is not seen as a cornerstone. It's seen more as a capstone. So that means before you get married, you need to have the good education. You need to get the good job. You need to be financially stable, get the house, be self-sufficient. And then, okay, now I can be married. So instead of it being like the first thing you build your life on, it's the last thing you do after you've built the rest of your life. Correct. And so, like, it's not that strange for me, but... The thing that I wrestle with, so I am a single person and I am in my early 30s. And so for me, it's not so much about why are there so many single people? It's more like, how do I live as a satisfied single person? And, you know, should I even be satisfied as a single person? I, th- I think that those are fair questions. I mean, especially since the church and even the Bible routinely talks about marriage and family. You know, we have God's institution of marriage in Genesis chapter 2. We have numerous passages that talk about husbands and wives and children. Yeah, I mean, we talk about family all the time in the church. And I kind of wonder, do we really have a good understanding of what God actually has to say about family? Well, I think for that, we need to turn over to the Gospel of Mark. So in Mark chapter 3, Jesus is inside his family's house, and there are so many people packed into this house to hear him or be healed by him that the scriptures say the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Yeah, it's like, imagine, you know, you've got so many people in your house that you can't even weave in and out of the crowd to get to your own refrigerator to get a snack. Like, that's nuts. Well, and that's exactly what Jesus's family thought. You know, they thought he had gone nuts. So they come to the house and naturally they they can't get inside. So they essentially play a game of telephone until their message finally reaches Jesus. Your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And then in verse 33, Jesus responds, who are my mother and my brothers? And then in asking this question, Jesus deconstructs the earthly family unit. Which is honestly a little strange because family is something everybody wants. We all want a place to belong, a place where we fit in. So why would Jesus deconstruct the family? Well, the nuclear family is one of the obvious places that we find that. And so, Rach, you know, we did our own survey for this episode and we sent it out to our mailing list and our social media. And one of the questions that we asked was, do you want to eventually be married? And we received well over 100 responses. And overwhelmingly, 97% said yes, they do want to be married. They do want to have a family. Actually, it's funny that we're talking about family because one of the people that I spoke to for this episode was a woman named Sarah Martin. And for Sarah, growing up in the church, family was something that was expected of you. So Sarah grew up in the church and the church that she grew up in, it was expected that all of the girls would, you know, grow up, you would get married, you would have kids, you would be a stay-at-home mom. So here's Sarah. In our church, there was only two single women that I knew. 
And I remember thinking this myself. I was like, well, something's wrong with them. I, I don't know. I guess maybe I heard a lot of bless their hearts type of thing or whatever. But if you were single, single equal, like weird, sad. But Sarah knew that wasn't her destiny. So, you know, once she graduated high school, she started dating and she dated while she was in college. She dated after college. And then all of a sudden, Sarah found herself exiting her 20s and she was still single. Now she was the one who was actually weird and sad. All but two of my friends are married with kids. So, you know, when I go home, I'm always like other you know, I wonder if they, <laughs> how they speak about me in this, they're like, poor Sarah. So up to this point, I'm like totally tracking with Sarah. Like her story is similar to mine. You know, I sometimes do feel other around my friends that are married. But then Sarah's response to her singleness took this strange turn. Maybe I am doing something wrong. So I kind of took it on as an experiment. Um I joined multiple Christian dating websites, and then um, I asked friends of friends through Facebook if they would participate in this project. Wait, wait. Did she just say project? Wait, what project is she talking about? I don't. What is happening right now? So Sarah's an artist, and she likes to use her art to kind of explore different problems in the world. And so what Sarah decides to do is she's going to get on all of these Christian dating websites and she's going to ask all these different single Christian men to give her a list of what they expect in an ideal spouse. Anything that comes to mind, like what are some characteristics? What would they look like? What would you guys be doing on the weekends, on a day off? Things like that. Okay, and then Sarah is going to try and be whatever this person is that they've described. And then she's going to take a picture of herself or video of herself as this person, send it to the men and say, is this right? I would have three chances to meet their expectations and become that person for them. <laughs> this is like, this is so bold. Like, I either feel like this is going to be like so amazing or just so terrible. Yeah. So like, did guys actually like go along with this? Well, actually, not at first. I got kicked off of one dating site. Um, a pastor who was on the dating site turned me in because he was really upset that I wasn't there legitimately to date. So anyway, that's it was, it's kind of funny to get like a rejection letter from a dating website. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the like the dating police Gestapo like came after her. Right, that's like the ultimate rejection. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so after that, eventually Sarah did find twenty guys on these dating websites who said they would do it, and then the expectations started coming in. And at first, you know, the expectations were pretty general, pretty normal. There was this super sweet guy in the military, and he just wanted somebody to tell him happy birthday and have a conversation with him. So we did over Skype. Oh, that's like so sweet. I know, right? Like, that's cute. Yeah, I, li I kind of like that. But then it gets weird, okay? It's about to get really weird because some of the other men had expectations that were strangely particular. I want to come home from work and I want you to be making dinner. 
in a dress and serving me impeccably. And I'm like, all right, okay. But then it would get even like more specific. And I want you to wear this certain kind of polka dot dress. So I'd go out and buy a polka dot dress and I would do the video. And then he was like, "Mm, that was really close. I don't like that dress. I don't like your hair. Can you do it again? Oh, my gosh. This guy even went so far as to say as I want your dress to be navy with white polka dots. I I feel really gross right like I I feel like I need to go like take a shower like this is like yeah it's weird yeah it's like so disturbing and what's really weird is that this guy wasn't the only guy who had a very specific image in mind they wanted me to physically like alter myself several people are like you're a pretty girl but if you lost like 15 to 20 pounds like that was a normal thing so I did hold on this is like next level like she's physically altering herself because of their requests Yeah. I mean, like Sarah's totally committed to this is the project. This is what I've said I'm going to do. And whatever they want, she's doing it. Yeah. It's like Sarah's like their little doll and they can do with her like whatever they want. Like that is super weird. Other people wanted me to pose like a Christmas card, a family Christmas card. So I did borrow babies and children of my friends to accommodate You know, one guy was like an off-the-grid type guy that wanted me to be, like, self-sufficient. And learning to shoot a rifle was interesting. Learning how to sew and doing all this stuff that I didn't know how to do. Or I had to learn how to play the guitar a little bit. That took a long time. So actually, it took Sarah two years to complete all of the requests from these 20 men. And some of them were so demanding that actually... She didn't meet the expectation in the three tries that she gave them. I had one guy get really angry with me because I didn't meet his expectations after the third time. Like he sent me an email that said, do you need me to do this video for you and give you notes so you know how to do it? Right. And I was like, wow. As weird as it is to hear like all of this stuff, I don't think Sarah's like trying to villainize these guys. You know, Sarah was open about what the project was. They knew what they were getting into. Like, no one's trying to deceive anybody else in this situation. And I think the reality is that Sarah's not showing the unrealistic expectations of just a few guys. Like, she's showing us all of us have unrealistic expectations. You know, whether it's about a romantic relationship or a marriage or kids or a job or our bodies. I think what's brilliant about her project is that she's putting flesh and bone on our expectations. Like she is saying our expectations out loud and then showing them back to us. And that that is what is so uncomfortable about this. Yeah. So actually what Sarah did once she was finished with this project is she took all of the photos and videos of herself, as well as all of her correspondence with these 20 men. And she turned the whole thing into an art exhibit. And I went to a showing of this exhibit recently here in Louisville. And here's what the people at the exhibit had to say about Sarah's project. It looks like a lot of work was put into this. The first word that comes to mind is is icky, I think. It's very gross to me. The detail is shocking. The fact that it was expressed so intentionally like became extremely revealing in an uncomfortable way. (laughs) That also kind of sucks because I know I've had like those expectations in the past. Well, and I think that we all, guys and girls, like we all need to understand that there's our expectations and then there's reality. 
And the wider the gap is between those two things, between our expectations and our actual experience, the harder the fall is going to be. I'm like, dude, why even try? Like, if this is what it's going to take to get a guy and to not be single anymore, like, no, thank you. I'll just be single. Well, okay, so it's funny that you should say that because I've actually got a story for you, and it's actually about Leandro. Leandro, from the office, from our office. (laughs) Yes, that Leandro, yep. Oh, this is going to be good. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Kirsten, the recruitment assistant at Love Thy Neighborhood. We recently asked some of our alumni how serving with us has impacted their lives. One person who shared with us was Sydney Wright. From Aberdeen, South Dakota, I served in the homelessness track where God opened my eyes to social, racial, and economic injustice. I learned that these issues demand action. Working with the homeless population taught me how to stand with and for the vulnerable, as we see Jesus do so many times in the Gospels. LTN gave me a chance to see how big God's heart is for the broken and lowly, and how He is the only one that will bring justice and peace to this weary world. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You'll grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Today's episode is Where the Gospel Meets Singleness. We're trying to answer the fundamental question, what does it mean to be satisfied in singleness? Okay, so we just heard from Sarah Martin, who did an art project exploring singleness. Now we're going to hear from a guy named Leandro Lozada. I can't wait to hear what he had to say about this. Okay, so for our listeners, so Leandro is actually our program director here at Love Thy Neighborhood, and he's from Puebla, Mexico. Rach, so as you know, before he ever worked with us, he had come to the States to work at a summer camp. But what you might not know is that while he was there, he met a girl named Samantha. Uh, So here's Leandro. Yeah, I was madly in love with Samantha. My heart was triggered by her, uh, some facial expressions that she had. She was sweet. Okay, so Leandro's like a total romantic. And so naturally, Leandro thought to himself, like, this could be the one. And so once camp was over and Leandro went back to his home in Mexico, he stayed in contact with Samantha by sending her emails. But not just like, hey, what's up? It was like long emails. I was probably writing, you know, two, three pages emails like maybe every other week or something like that. I called her, too. We also uh, talked to each other. I probably called her once a week or once every two weeks. I checked her Facebook several times a day. Gosh, if I had known Leandro at this point, I would have been like, hey, man, chill the heck out. He's being a total creeper right now. Well, the folks who did know him at the time did have advice for him, and it wasn't just that he needed to chill out. Leandro, you need to be satisfied. You need to be satisfied in Christ. You know, everyone tells you you have to be satisfied in Christ. Uh, But for me, I I could not understand what that meant. You know, in practical terms, does it mean that I don't 
allow my emotions to go after her? Like, am I not supposed to do things well? Am I not supposed to go hard after things? I, I could not make sense of that. I did not understand what that meant. Okay, so Leandro keeps pursuing Samantha, and not just for a few months, for several years. And then everything finally came to a head when Leandro himself moved to the United States to attend seminary. And I thought, this is the will of God. I am moving to a city uh, that's like about four hours away from where she is. This is totally God writing my love story. Okay, so now Leandro, he's at this crossroads. Uh, he's been having this friendship with Samantha for several years. They're no longer mega long distance. At least they can get to each other now. Leandro knows it's time for him to like take his shot. But he was also, he was just hesitant. I would say that uh, the fear of rejection played itself out all the time, basically. Okay, that's interesting because that's actually a really common fear. So going back to, Jesse, you remember that survey that we sent out? One of the other questions we asked on there was, is there anything that would keep you from asking somebody out? And about half of all the men who answered said the one thing that would keep them from asking a girl out either had to do with fear of rejection or fear of causing some sort of damage to the friendship. I totally get this fear. You know, I I was single once. I remember how terrifying it is to, you know, ask somebody out. I, I get that. Asking a girl out, it, it has risks. But also, almost everyone in our survey said that they wanted to one day be married. I mean, 97% of people said, I want to be married eventually. And also, the majority of men from our survey said in the past two years that they had only asked out one to three girls in two years. So I don't I don't get that gap, that gap of I eventually want to be married. But uh, in the last two years, I've only asked out maybe one person. Like if I want to get in great shape, I don't sit at home and go like, I'd like to be in great shape eventually. Like I have to go to the gym. I have to do the work. I have to put myself out there. And I guess in this situation, like I don't get how people think that they're going to eventually get something that they desire if they're not taking the shot and they're not taking those risks. Okay, so back to Leandro. Did he take a shot? Did he ask Samantha out? I think I finally pulled the trigger and I was like, Samantha, we need to like do something. Like We need to move forward. And what'd she say? So Leandro took a shot and it was a miss. Samantha said no. Ah, that stinks. Yeah. And it does stink because after that, you know, their, their friendship became really awkward to the point where eventually it actually just fizzled out altogether. So, you know, Leandro did not get that Disney movie ending that he was hoping for. Like, he got rejected, and it ruined the friendship. I was uh, afraid, miserable, oftentimes very, very depressed. I had a couple panic attacks uh, at some points. A lot of shame, a lot of, had I done this, had I done that, had I been such and such, uh, she would have said yes. And then, you know, it took me, I don't know how long, but it took me a while to try to recover from that. And understandably, we all know that if someone expresses romantic feelings for us and it's not reciprocated, we can't be close to them. Like, that's the risk. Okay, but Jesse, this is only like further confirming what I said earlier was that if you don't take the risk, you can't be hurt. You know what I mean? Like, Leandro put himself out there. He took the risk. And like, listen to him. It sucked. Like... 
His life was miserable. Yes, in that moment in his life, his life sucked. But the story isn't over yet. You know, it was painful. His emotions were all over the place. But deep inside, Leandro knew that God had not made him to just be miserable all the time. And so eventually, he started spending time with another girl that he liked. I mean, I did, I genuinely did better. And my emotions did better. But better for me at that time was still pretty, pretty intense. And again, his friends, his community around him, people keep telling him, listen, you're single and you just need to be satisfied in Christ. And again, I couldn't reconcile it exactly. Be satisfied in Christ. And I was trying to be satisfied in Christ. Like those were days in which I was reading four chapters of my Bible every day. I was serving at the church and I was trying to honor God. And I could not reconcile. Okay, I know that I that Jesus satisfies, but I also like this girl. So how, how do I do this? I, I have no idea. And it, and it didn't help, you know, that Leandro kept hearing stories about how other couples had gotten together. And one of them was my pastor. You know, my past, one of my pastors at that time, he asked and asked and pursued and pursued and pursued. And then she finally said yes, and then they got married. So I was like, how, how, how did they do it? Were they loving God? Was Jesus enough for them at that time? So it's a wonderful phrase. Jesus satisfies. But it was not nuanced enough for me. So it ended up being the same story. So Leandro took the shot. She said no. They stopped being friends. And looking back, Leandro really wishes that he would have known then that life could still be very rich and full, even as a single person. If I could go back to my younger self, and if I told him what I now know, I don't know if he would listen, but uh, I would like to tell him, hey dude, life is going to be okay if you're single. Pay attention to the beauty that surrounds you, Pay attention to what you have right now. You love soccer. Go play soccer. You know, I don't think that Leandro, like, suddenly learned how to be satisfied in Christ. And because of that, the Lord honored his life and blessed him with a wife. I don't think that's what happened. What I do think happened is that Leandro simultaneously sought trying to be satisfied in Christ, but also he sought after the desires of his heart, which was he wanted to be married. And he just got married this past summer to neither one of the girls that he actually mentioned. And one of the things that he loves about his job here at Love That Neighborhood is that he gets to walk with and counsel young adults who are in the midst of navigating singleness. Jesus satisfies. Sometimes we give it a very spiritual meaning, and I think that is fair. It's a very spiritual thing, but I think we need to give it flesh and we need to give it images. Okay, Jesse, I hear what Leandro's saying. I completely agree. You know, we should not be sitting around and be mopey. We need to do things with our lives, you know, make the most of what God has given us, use our singleness to glorify him. But the reality is that for some of us who are single, we're single because life has dealt us a really crappy hand. And when you're in the thick of the downsides of singleness, I mean, people can tell you whatever they want. The truth is the circumstances suck. And that was the experience of a woman named Jackie Ross. So Jackie is single, but she's not 20-something and single. She's single in this other category that sometimes the church doesn't really know what to do with. 
Um, I'm divorced. Um, I was single through most through all my 20s. I got married at 30 and then was divorced at 35. And from her previous marriage, Jackie also has a five-year-old daughter. Now, after the age of 35, being single again and being a parent, hmm, there's just, I've said before, I don't think there is a category for single parents in the church. Um, there just isn't a category for us. And I, I just want to make it clear that Jackie is divorced because her husband left her. But as it regards her singleness, the thing that Jackie wanted to talk about actually wasn't her divorce. It wasn't even the hardships of being a single parent. The thing she wanted to talk about was probably something that a lot of single people want to talk about, but they just don't. I don't know how this would come out. And of course, you don't have to include it. But can can I talk about sex for a minute? Okay, so for the majority of single folks, they're single and have never been married. Studies show that. And, you know, in the Christian world, there's a lot of emphasis put on don't have sex until you're married. Save sex for marriage because that's how God designed it. And yes, that's biblical. And it's exactly what Jackie did. So so in my situation, I grew up in the church, did everything, quote unquote, the right way. I saved myself for marriage. My ex-husband and I had a very um, strict, you know, physical boundaries in our dating relationship. Essentially, everything was perfect. They did everything the right way. And then divorce turned Jackie's world upside down. The emotion you have coming out of that, or at least that I had, was what was this for? You know, I did things the right way. I thought I was going to have this husband, have this union with him for the rest of my life. I gave myself to him spiritually, physically, emotionally. And now that's just gone. Poof. You know, it disappeared. So it feels like that I have been used, knocked up, and discarded. And, you know, personally for me, when... Jackie started talking about this, I realized how naive I actually was. Like, it never even occurred to me that divorced people, widowed people struggle with sexual purity. You know, I thought, okay, someone's divorced, they're dealing with a lot of emotional damage, relational damage, probably some trust issues, things like that. But sex? I had no idea. You're just reeling with all these different emotions. Um... I mean, I felt like a crazy person, just so anxious and so desiring attention from a man and sexual attention, um, just at a a very heightened level. And the unfortunate thing is, you know, when it comes to singleness and talking about sex, oftentimes either the church is just silent on the issue or they just offer quippy statements like, well, Jesus is your husband. Yeah, well, like, Jesus can't, like, spoon with you at night. Like, at the end of the day, you know, Jesus can't sit there and, like, hold your hand, you know, while you watch Parks and Rec together on Netflix. Like, there's a sense in which she misses a human being being by her side. And, like, I get that. Right. And so the place that Jackie sought help for what she was going through actually wasn't the church. It was her divorce therapy group. Because that was a safe place. Um, And I honestly, if I had been in you know, biblical counseling or at a, Christ- a Christian counselor, I don't think I would have shared those openly um, for fear of being judged or just, I think maybe not even judgment, but just a fear of being told, okay, these are like unholy urges that you're having. You just need to stop and let's pray and read the Bible and just stop. And here's one thing that really inspired me. So for Jackie, she's been given this really difficult circumstance. She's divorced. She's a single parent. But she didn't let all of this 
loneliness she was feeling and all the sexual tension she was wrestling through dictate what she was going to do with her life. Like Jackie looked around, she took inventory and said, here's the circumstance that I'm in. What am I going to do with it? And she stepped up and she continued to live her life. Not that I don't think about marriage again, but buying a home, you know, settling down. This is a home that is just enough for myself and my daughter. It's not with the thought of accepting, you know, a new spouse or stepchildren into that home. There's not enough room, you know? Yeah, you know, one of the things that we like to say as Christians to our single friends is we'll tell them, you know, God will give you the desires of your heart. And that phrase actually comes from Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And when we say that to single people, typically what we mean is if you're following God, then one day you'll be married. Right. And so far for Jackie, that's not true. But what I love is she's not waiting around for it to happen. You know, she's building a life for her and her daughter. And actually, what's interesting is no one ever quotes the verse that comes right before that verse about God giving you the desires of your heart. The verse that comes right before it says this, trust in the Lord and do good, dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. So it doesn't say trust in the Lord and wait for him to bring you a spouse. It says do good, dwell in the land. In other words, live your life, take what God has given you and make something out of it. Be active, which honestly for me is easier said than done. And so this has been really great. You know, we've talked about be realistic with your expectations. We've talked about if you want to be married, you've got to take your shot. We've talked about live with what's been given to you. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, I'm still single. And I go home and I have roommates and they're awesome. But they're roommates. They're not a spouse. They're not kids. They're not a family. And so I, there's still something missing. I still want to know, as a single person, how can I be relationally satisfied? Yeah, listen, I think that that's a fair question. I would like to answer that question, but I'm not the person that can answer that for you. I think that the person that can answer that for you is actually across the pond in England. What? We'll be right back. Love Thy Neighborhood is now on Patreon, which offers exclusive content to members. For just 10 bucks a month, you can unlock bonus interviews, live streams, ebooks, and more. By becoming a Patreon member, you're helping us make more of the podcast content that you love and supporting our Urban Missions program. It's really easy to join. Just go to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood. We'd love to have you with us as we explore discipleship and missions in our modern times. Again, go to patreon.com slash love thy neighborhood and sign up today. It's the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Today's episode is where the gospel meets singleness. So you and I have been talking all episode long basically about this question. How can single people be satisfied? Right. I think to get to the heart of that question and to get a real answer, we actually need to leave the United States in order to talk to this guy. In the UK, we have had a long legacy of really great single evangelical pastors. So this is Sam Alberry, and Sam is a pastor in the UK. He's also an author, and Sam is kind of an expert on singleness. And part of the reason for that is that Sam has always been single and actually anticipates that he'll be single for the rest of his life voluntarily. 
The reason for that is that Sam is same-sex attracted. I began to realize I was same-sex attracted in my teenage years, so kind of during high school. And early in his faith, Sam really didn't think that his sexuality was going to be too much of a hindrance. I just assumed, well, God will change my feelings anyway because I'm a Christian now. I knew that I wanted to get married one day. I wanted to to marry a, a good Christian girl, have a family. Surely that's the kind of plan God likes and will bless. Yeah, so here's the thing, that Sam actually has a personal conviction that he does not believe that God wants him to live out of his same-sex attraction and that God's desire is not for him to be in a same-sex relationship. But he still did want a family, and, you know, believing that God gives you the desires of your heart, he thought, okay, this will work itself out. And I even had a time scale. I remember turning 21 thinking, I want to be a dad by the time I'm 30 at the latest. So I should probably have met someone and be kind of marrying around the age of 25, maybe wait a couple of years and start having kids. So I had a time frame all kind of mapped out. There was only one problem, though, with this. I just had overlooked the slightly incidental aspect of the fact that I wasn't attracted to women. <laughs> and I just that, that never resolved. That aspect of it never resolved. And so even though he was single, Sam did what he felt called to do. He went to seminary. He became the pastor of a church near London. And this is precisely why we needed to leave the United States. Okay, Rachel, name some famous Christian leaders in America. Okay, uh, like John Piper, Tim Keller, Francis Chan. Is that what you're looking for? Yeah, okay, perfect. How many of those men are single? None. Right. But that is actually not the case in Great Britain. So we've had pastors like John Stott, uh, Dick Lucas, and others actually who, who've all been single. But it means we've always had that category of the single pastor. So in the UK, being single and a Christian, it's not as weird as it is here in the United States. A fact which Sam honestly still finds shocking. The impression I get in the States is that very few churches would take seriously a single pastor applying for a pastoral position. And I think the assumption is if you're single at this stage of life, there's probably something wrong with you. And I've said to a number of American churches, you would happily have Paul as your apostle, but you wouldn't have him as your pastor. And that that doesn't add up. Oh, shoot. Did he, did he just say that? Yeah. And for Sam, it isn't just the culture that helps him thrive in his singleness. He's satisfied in his singleness because he actually does have a family. And that family, it's his church. And I've got a little side table in my my living room with a pot on it that has three or four house keys that I've been given by different families that I know. So they're saying not just we like having you around, but you now have the freedom to come round whenever you like. You don't have to wait to be invited. You don't have to wait for it to be a good time. Uh, you can just let yourself in. And that that to me speaks very deeply of being thought of as family. And what Sam is saying here is the answer to our loneliness isn't having a spouse and 2.5 kids. The answer to our loneliness is remembering that God has already taken care of us by placing every single one of us as children into his family. The New Testament, it so routinely talks about us in familial terms. It's so familiar to us, we don't notice it. But uh, we are brothers and sisters. The church is the household or the, the family of God. Paul tells Timothy to treat older men as as fathers and older women as mothers and younger men as brothers and younger women as sisters. So not just to treat them as kind of extended family, but as close family. 
And so much of New Testament thought is predicated on the notion that we are family. You, you can't avoid it. For me, hearing Sam talk about the church being your family, I've actually experienced this. One thing that comes to mind, Jesse, is actually I babysit your kids all the time. And the last time I was over there, actually, I was, I was watching them overnight. You guys were away on a trip and Evangeline's tooth fell out and your wife gets on the phone and is like, hey, I need you to be the tooth fairy tonight. And like that was a really like precious moment for me because that's not something that I'll experience otherwise. I don't have kids like I don't get to be Santa Claus. I don't get to be the tooth fairy. And so it was just very sweet that I was let in to your family Yeah. And I think on the other side, you know, eventually when you have a spouse and then you have kids, the number of like fixed commitments you have in life just continues to grow, which means that you have less and less flexibility. I think there's a false idea out there that two parents and the kids, that they can have a a self-sustaining household. We rely on our single friends all the time to help us function and make it in life. But the flip side, too, is just showing hospitality to each other, you know, whether it's you or other single friends just coming to our house and being around, you know, being around when we're doing laundry or putting our kids to bed or working through homework or, you know, goofing off in our backyard. Our single friends are a part of that experience, you know. And so I think it's important that married people always take a second and back up and ask themselves, for us as married people, what would it look like to treat the single folks in our church as family? So in Mark chapter 3, Jesus asks the question, who are my mother and my brothers? And he then goes on to give the answer. And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. You know, Jesus knows what it is to be single, to not have a spouse, to not have children, to feel lonely, to feel abandoned. And yet... Jesus also knows exactly what it is to be satisfied and to feel and experience the richness of God's love throughout his life, a truth which Sam Alberry finds greatly encouraging. He knows more about this than I do and has been through a far worse version of this than I ever will. And so that, that does make a difference to think, okay, he, he gets this. He is not unsympathetic. He's not rolling his eyes that I I find this difficult at times. I think it's important to just say this, too. You know, we talked about having unrealistic expectations in regards to dating. And I think that's true as it pertains to the church as well. You know, we live in a fallen world. People have busy lives. And so there are going to be times as single people when we need to hang out with somebody and everyone's just busy. But that's okay because our hope is not here on this earth. Our hope is that there's a day coming to where it will be perfect. Yeah, and I think Sam agrees with you. In fact, I really appreciated one of the final thoughts that he shared. He talked about what marriage really is and what marriage is pointing toward. The hope for the single person is that actually we are perfectly married in Christ. And in the age to come, we will not be married, kind of humanly speaking, because we will have the ultimate marriage in Jesus which means I'm not ultimately missing out. I'm missing out on the foretaste of that. I'm not missing out on the reality of it. And I think for married people, the hope is the same because marriage isn't always easy. And I know some people who are, who are unhappily married. I know some people who are even lonelier, even in marriage. So the hope for them is 
again, there is the perfect marriage that awaits all of us. Okay, so Rach, how's online dating going? Okay, so I made a profile and so far I've gotten a message from some guy in Florida who's a Jehovah's Witness and some other guy in Washington, D.C. But, you know, I took some shots. Nothing's happened yet, you know. We'll see where it goes. Well, you tried something new. I did. And if I'm feeling lonely about it, you know, I'll just come hang out at your house. It's a deal. (laughs) For more resources or to hear past episodes of this podcast, visit our website at lovethyneighborhood.org slash podcast. Thanks to our interviewees for this episode, Sarah Martin, Leandro Lozada, Jackie Ross, and Sam Alberry. Special thanks also to everyone who participated in our online survey. You helped make this episode possible. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-host is Rachel Zabo, who is also our producer, technical director, editor, and valedictorian of her homeschool class. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Poddington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. Theme music and commercial music by Murphy DX. Apply for your social justice internship supported by Christian Community by visiting lovethyneighborhood.org. Serve for a summer or a year. Grow in your faith and life skills. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise.